see the sword in his hand, you might have lost your head. Oh, Balaam, don't you know there's an angel in the room? Oh, Balaam, don't you know there's an angel his only son.
makes your heart feel happy. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. Driver, driver, why are you stopping? You can't see a thing, Your Majesty. We might run over a cliff or hit rocks. <laughs> Kill Your Majesty. Yes. Your Majesty, if I were to run before the chariot leading the horses, we could reach the palace safely. You, you, the prophet of God, would humble himself by running before my chariot as a, a mere servant. His Majesty is still king of Israel, and I must honor my king. He must reach the palace safely. This act of unselfishness is graciousness that only a true worshiper of the true God could show. By your word, the reign of heaven has for three years been withheld from the earth. In answer to your prayer, fire flashed from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Your hand executed God's judgment. God granted an immediate answer to your petition. Yet you are willing to perform this menial task. Oh, only a worshiper of the true God could be this unselfish and gracious. We will get home safely. of Jezreel, Your Majesty. Your driver can easily get to the palace from here. Won't you come with me? Stay at the palace tonight. No, thank you, Your Majesty. I'll remain outside the gate. But Elijah, the rain, the wind, your... Good night, Your Majesty. Long live the king. Long live the king. A great man. All right, driver. To the palace. There, I feel better. Dry clothes, warm. I'm surprised you could even get home in this storm. No, well, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't have if, if Elijah hadn't run in front of the chariot and led the way. Elijah had to do that? Then my priest must have won the contest after I left. Tell me, what time was it that the fire came down and burned the sacrifices to Baal? I knew my priests would win. Oh, but they didn't. They lost. Elijah won. What do you mean? Just what I said. Your priests, I, I mean the priests of Baal, were unable to get fire to burn their sacrifices and gave up. They should have kept on. Well, they did all day. Anyway, Elijah took over at evening sacrifice time, and right away, fire came down from heaven and burned his sacrifice. Then why did he act as your guide if he won? I get it. You're having fun at my expense. My priest did win. You don't have any priests. I mean the priests of Baal. So do I. There aren't any priests left. Did they turn yellow and run? Hide somewhere? They were killed. Killed? Killed. Every one of them. Who killed them? Elijah and the people. Elijah? 
He killed my prophets? Actually killed them? Oh, in a way, yes. I mean, well, it was the judgment of God and Elijah merely the hand... You stood there and let Elijah slay my prophets. I tell you, dear, that Elijah proved that his God is the true God. The people were awed at the marvelous revelation of divine power that Elijah... But he slew my prophets and you did nothing to stop well, him. of course not. That's what the contest was for. To see who was the true God and who was the false. Jehovah is the true God, and Elijah is his chosen messenger. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And if I had tried to stop the judgment of God upon the false prophets, well, the people would have turned against me and slain me. Well, let me tell you something, you weak, cowardly, so-called king. I shall do something about it. I refuse to recognize Jehovah as God, and as truly as my name is Jezebel, Elijah shall die. I myself will have him killed by this time tomorrow night. Furthermore, I'm going to tell him so. Slave, take a message to Elijah and... Where is Elijah, Ahab? Oh, but dear, surely you'll realize the overruling power of God in all this. Where is Elijah? I left him near the city gate. He probably found some sort of shelter. Slave, find Elijah and give him this exact message. Let the gods do so to me, and more also, if I do not have you slain by this time tomorrow night, as you have slain my priests. Understand? Uh, Yes, yes, your royal majesty. Queen Jezebel said that? Oh, yes, sir. Surely she cannot mean that she would have me slain. Oh, she was angry, sir. She was very angry. And when angry, Her Majesty is capable of anything. Uh, I'll, I'll have to flee for my life. So Elijah fled to Beersheba, and from there a day's journey into the wilderness, and sat down to rest under a juniper tree. Oh, God, how could I have mistrusted thee and fled from Jezebel? Take my life, O Lord, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah fell asleep, and behold, an angel touched him. Arise, Elijah, and eat. Eat? What is there to eat out here in the wilderness? Behold, a cake baked upon the hot stones, and a cruise of water. And Elijah ate the cake and drank the water, and again fell asleep. Again the angel awakened Elijah and told him to eat, and for the second time he ate a cake and drank water. Being refreshed by the two meals, he arose and for forty days and forty nights journeyed until he arrived at Mount Horeb, the same mountain upon which Moses had received the Ten Commandment Law. Elijah found a cave and lodged therein. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? The children of Israel forsook thy covenant, destroyed thy altars, slew thy prophets. I, and only I, O Lord, am left in all Israel to obey thy word. I fled because the queen seeks my life. Behold, Elijah, and thou shalt understand wherein is my word and my truth. My voice. 
voice and truth is not in the winds. are not always portrayed or revealed by great commotion or by great accomplishments. I choose rather to speak to my servants through silence and meditation, quiet study and prayer, and the still small voice of devotion and love. The still small voice of love and devotion. I shall return to Israel fearless of the queen and all the powers of darkness and evil for the lord shall be my strength and my shield we'll continue the bible story tomorrow and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home you can call the bible in living sound at 1-800-634-0234 that's 1-800-634 O two three four. Boys and girls, this is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Do you like visiting museums? Have you ever been in a museum of children's art? What if your museum were showing a collection of paintings of children and one of the pieces was mysteriously missing? That's what happens to Sammy and Ginny in this new shoebox kids mystery. Along the way, Sammy learns that helping others is part of what it means to be a Christian. Chapter 1. Mysterious Stranger Sammy Tan discovered two things while standing on his head in the art gallery. First, that blood rushes to your head and it starts to hurt after a while. And second, that strange-looking art still looks strange upside down. Gradually, Sammy's body slid down from the wall he was leaning against. The world slowly turned right side up again. Sammy frowned and sat up, looking at the painting across the room. It still looked weird. Splotches of blue, green, and yellow covered wiggly black lines that ran from side to side. What are you doing, Sammy? Sammy looked up from the floor to see Jenny Wallace walking toward him. Looking at sunspots, he answered. Sunspots? Where? she asked. Sammy pointed toward the painting on the other wall as Jenny sat down on the floor next to Sammy. I can't figure out why it's called sunspots, Sammy said. Jenny looked at the painting silently. Then she said, Well, have you ever looked at sunspots before? How do you know what they look like? I've looked at an eclipse through special glasses, Sammy said. I didn't see anything that was green or blue like that. Well, artists have a lot of imagination, Jenny explained, trying to defend the painting. Sammy laughed and looked at the colorful splotches. They must have to call something like that sunspots. What are you doing here? Jenny asked him again. Sammy jumped up and walked over to a bronze sculpture of a woman with a hole in her stomach. He reached his arm through the sculpture and shook hands with himself. Right now I'm waiting for my grandfather, Sammy said. He's taking a tour with some people in the other room. I'm supposed to wait for him here. We're going to see them open a new exhibit of some famous painter in the South Wing, Shepley Matthews or something. 
Sammy stood on his tiptoes and tried to put his head through the hole in the statue's stomach. I think that's Sheffield Matheson, the painter, that is. Jenny frowned at Sammy, who twisted his head as if it were stuck in the hole. I don't think we're supposed to do that. Why else would they put a hole in her stomach? Sammy asked. He sighed and pulled his head out of the hole. What about you? Why are you here, Jenny Wallflower? Don't call me that, Sam Mule, she emphasized the last part of his name. My name is Wallace, and to answer your question, my mom is in charge of raising money for the new children's wing they're going to build here for the museum. She's in a meeting right now. Whoa, wait a minute, he said. I know about bird wings. What's a children's wing? Jenny looked at him through the hole in the statue's stomach. It's a neat place in a museum where they let you learn all about art and feel things and climb all over them. She looked at Sammy, who now had both of his arms in the statue's hole, and was trying to climb inside it. Not that that's ever stopped you. Ahem. Sammy and Jenny heard someone clear his throat. Sammy climbed out of the hole quickly. Sorry, Grandfather, Sammy said, suddenly embarrassed. Jenny backed away, giggling. Sammy... Art is for enjoying with the eyes, not with the hands, feet, and elbows, Grandfather Tan said, wagging his finger in front of Sammy's face. Sammy didn't have a chance to respond. A crowd of people followed Mr. Tan into the room, and Sammy realized that they were all headed to the south wing to see the exhibit opening. Sammy looked at all the faces and saw Mrs. Wallace coming toward them. Sammy thought he saw someone else he recognized, but the person disappeared behind a group of others. "'Sammy, Mr. Tan!' Mrs. Wallace exclaimed. "'It's good to see you.' "'Hi, Mrs. Wallace,' Sammy said. "'Jenny told me that you were in charge of raising money for the new children's wing here.' Mrs. Wallace smiled at Sammy, then looked at Mr. Tan. "'That's right, Sammy. It's going to be a great place for kids to visit. "'And all kids, ages 12 and under, will get to come free any time they want to.' "'All right,' Sammy said, suddenly excited. "'How much money do you have to raise?' Mr. Tan asked." Mrs. Wallace grew serious. $75,000. Wow, Sammy said. I can't even imagine that much money. I don't know anybody that has that much money. Mrs. Wallace crouched down in front of Sammy. You're right. It's a lot of money, but it's for a good cause. And if each of us do our part to raise it, I really think Mill Valley can afford to build this new wing. Mrs. Wallace squinted at Sammy and Jenny. Say, how would the shoebox kids like to be involved in doing a little fundraising? Sammy and Jenny looked at each other. How much do we get paid? Sammy asked Jenny. Jenny frowned. The idea is to raise money, not pay people like you. You're supposed to volunteer. Why don't we get the group together at our house this weekend? Mrs. Wallace asked. We can discuss the possibilities, have some snacks, maybe play a few games. Yeah, a regular party, Jenny said. Well, okay, Sammy said finally. Grandfather Ten, Sammy, Jenny, and Mrs. Wallace heard a shout, and then applause. They looked up to see a man in a suit cut a ribbon, and then gesture for people to enter the doorway to the south wing. Sammy and the others joined the crowd and filed into a long room. Mounted on the walls on both sides were large paintings of children. I can't see, Jenny whispered. She stood on her tiptoes, trying to look through the crowd. Sammy looked around, then tugged on her sleeve. Come on! Sammy led Jenny to a concrete bench standing right in the center of the room. They climbed onto the bench and stood up. Much better, Jenny said. Wow, there must be a hundred people in here. They looked around the room at the crowd. A man up front was talking about the paintings. 
This is truly a historic occasion, the man said. As director of the Mill Valley Art Museum, it is an honor for me to introduce this display of fine art to our city. But it is historic because this is the first time that all of Sheffield Matheson's works have been displayed at one place. It took a long time for me to arrange for this exhibit, but the fact that Sheffield Matheson was born, lived, and died here in Mill Valley made a big difference, and the effort was well worth it. Sammy looked around him at the paintings. All the pictures showed children. Sammy was fascinated by how the artist showed them. One showed three boys in a snowball fight. Another showed girls painting a fence. One showed two girls swinging on a tire swing while boys in the tree above them yelled at them. Sammy could almost hear them talking. Then Sammy noticed that something was wrong. Excuse me, he said out loud. Mr. Director, I have a question. Sammy, don't interrupt, Grandfather Tan said quietly. No, it's all right, the director said. What is it, son? Sammy pointed at the wall in front of him. There are six paintings on that wall. He moved his hand to point at the opposite side. And only five on that wall. How come? Jenny poked him in the ribs. Because there's only eleven paintings, silly, she said. No, that's not quite right, the director said. This set of paintings is called the Broken Dozen. He pointed at the far corner. Sheffield Matheson wanted to paint children in each month of the year, but you'll notice that we have left a space between numbers 10 and 12 over there. That's because number 11 disappeared in the fire that caused Mr. Matheson's death in 1964. It was actually just a few blocks from here. Well, didn't the painting just burn up in the fire, someone else asked? Some think so, but the police who examined the fire say no. They said it would have left traces of the special fabric he painted on, and Sheffield Matheson was very careful to protect his paintings from fire. The director folded his hands over his chest. It's just another unsolved mystery. In this case, it makes the work of Sheffield Matheson more interesting. Wow, a mystery, Sammy nudged Jenny. Wouldn't it be great if we could find that missing painting? Yes, it would be like the treasure map Chris found and the secret codes Willie got over his computer, Jenny answered. Let's see if the director can give us any more clues. Sammy listened to the director while he looked around the room. He had a strange sensation that someone was watching him. He scanned the paintings, then started looking around the room. A thin, gray-haired man on the far side of the room dressed in an overcoat turned and looked at Sammy. Sammy stared at him, thinking he should know him. Sammy smiled at the man and waved. The man didn't smile back. Who is that man, Jenny? Sammy whispered. I feel like I should know him. Jenny looked past Sammy. What man? Jenny whispered back. The gray-haired man in the raincoat, Sammy said. Right over, Sammy turned and pointed. But the man was gone. have heard today is a chapter of the shoebox kids book five the broken dozen mystery written by glenn robinson edited and created by jerry d thomas and used with permission from the pacific press publishing association if you're interested in any other books published by the seventh day adventist church please visit adventistbookcenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955 This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy, foolish things they say.
the children come. Please let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Life Talk Radio at lifetalk.net.